0: If you're in the back, you got like some shadowing going on, but it's good to see you I'm actually gonna jump right in this morning uh, Because I have several things that I think the Lord wants to say to us And I don't want to rush it I like being slow and calm, especially a teacher on summer break Slow and calm So if you do have your Bibles with you, we are gonna eventually land in Romans chapter 12 So you can turn there. We will get there in a little bit. Um, If you are visiting for the first time or you haven't been here in a while, uh, we have been doing a series that has been focusing on this idea of doing community, doing life with others. And um, just to kind of give you an idea, what we mean by that is not just uh, this importance of Existing in the same space as other people you just happen to live in my same neighborhood or in my town Or you happen to go to my church Um, But we've really been trying to press into this idea of this um, deep Seated need um, To be seen to be known to be loved to be accepted Okay, so I just kind of want to use that just to paint a picture of what we've really been talking about when we mean life with others we're talking about this idea of, I let you see me, and I slow down enough to see you. I let you get to know me, even the parts of me I'm not super fond of, and I have capacity to get to know you. And then we have this idea of, um, I'm letting you, I'm taking the risk of letting you love me and to accept me into your life, and I'm doing the same thing with you, okay? So that's what we mean when we say life with others. That's what we're really trying to, um, that's what we're really trying to lean into with this series. So we wouldn't be able to have this conversation without talking about the reality of why this is so hard, okay? We've been talking a lot about how we have this Innate need like it's a part of our DNA to be seen to be known to be loved to belong And yet we find this conflict within ourselves That this is like not an easy thing if this were an easy thing. We wouldn't be up here talking about it for six weeks Right, but for some reason this is actually a really hard concept for us to really run into And I believe it's because it all comes down to this idea that it does require risk. I believe that most of us in this room, if we were to share some experiences that we have had of of being known and seen and loved, we would say that that also comes along with some stories of being deeply hurt and experiencing betrayal. Would you say that that is true for you? And that is what makes this so hard. That's why it makes social media so great, because I can kind of curb that risk and still get somewhat of a semblance of being seen, known, and liked, right? But I have a question. How many of you would say that when you've experienced this hurt, or betrayal. Um, sometimes I like to think of it as these moments where I feel anxiety, because we don't always just experience hurt and betrayal with really big things. Like, I can be, um, I can experience conflict or hurt by even, like, a complete stranger, like when I'm driving, right? I can, they're like, little things, right? But we all experience these um, conflicts with other people where I'm supposed to, I think, like you, but, like, I really don't like you right now. Right? So my question is, how many of us, when we experience conflict with other people, we like the person that comes out of us? Anyone say, like, yeah, I like the way I yell all of a sudden. I like the way I lose my lid. I go from zero to 130 seconds flat. I know that I don't. I do not—I am not super proud of the person that I see come out of me most of the time when I experience conflict, and so it begs the question—actually, the really interesting thing about the way we respond to conflict is that, like, I don't even have to really think about it. Like, I don't get up in the morning and I don't plan, like, okay, the first time I experience conflict today, I'm gonna lose my lid. Like I don't plan for that right? If you've ever been in a moment where like something has happened and you're reflecting back and you think, I don't even know who that person was. How could I have responded that way? So there's this thing about conflict that like I don't even have to think about it. There's just these natural responses that come out of me, and some of it has to do with like our personality, some of it has to do with the things that are modeled to us growing up by our friends, by our family, by our maybe our teachers. So all of this begs the question. If I don't like the person I see when I respond to conflict, how do I become the kind of person that I like when I respond to conflict? If I'm really if I really believe that this idea of being seen and known and loved and belonging is really the life that's for me, it's the life I want, and yet it comes with this idea of risk, and so I have to be able to embrace or um, prepare for conflict, how on earth do I begin to become the person that I can actually kind of be proud of when conflict comes around? If the thing I am when I don't really think about it is something I don't like, then maybe the person I want to be is on the other side of being someone who stops and thinks and tries a different way. Does that make sense? It would make sense if the thing I just do automatic is the thing I don't like, then maybe there's something I can do on purpose that will lead me to become the person I want to be. So I have to ask the question, do I know person I want to be? Do I know the person I want to be when I'm calm and when I'm in conflict? Do I know the person I want to be when I'm feeling fully seen and loved and when I'm feeling hurt and betrayed? So I'm gonna uh, show you a list on the screen here um, because I actually, I'm kind of weird. I. It's true. Um, I actually spend a lot of time, like, thinking about my behavior uh, because I I find behavior really interesting. Um, I'm an intervention specialist, and I used to spend a lot of time with kids who um, had some more difficult behaviors, and I find them wildly interesting because, like, our behaviors are actually a reflection of something else going on deeper inside of us. And so I actually spend a lot of time thinking about my behavior, and when I think about the person I want to be, like, who do I want to be, in every room, no matter the circumstance, I usually end up saying something on this list. There might be some other words that I use, like I often say, I, I wanna feel confident, right? But I often end up saying one of these words on this list. Now, for, for a lot of you, you probably recognize that list, right? Those are the fruits of the Spirit. This is the list of things that God tells us that when I do life partnered with the Spirit, I'm these things How many of you see at least one word on this list you're like I really want to be that thing? Raise your hand Okay, so uh, So shout it out one word on this list that you like man if I could just be the person I really want to be I'd really embody this thing go ahead and tell me what words stand out to you Woohoo! I didn't even prep you for that That's my word, too. Like, I want to be a person who's under control. I want to be a person of peace. I want to be a person of love. Some of those words on that list come a little easier for me, but some of them, like self-control, are really hard, especially when I start feeling like I'm in conflict with someone. So we're faced with this challenge. If this list, embodies the person I want to be, then I have to start doing things differently. I have to start responding to conflict in a different way. And the good news is that this thing right here is chock full of things that help me become the person I want to be. This thing is full. Now, it's not gonna tell you when you go to work and your boss does this, here's what to say and here's what not to say. It it doesn't say that, I'm sorry, okay? But what it does do is it paints us this target of like, this is the goal that you wanna aim your arrow towards. So you may not know exactly what to say, or exactly how to respond, but you do know, I wanna point my ship in this direction because I trust that going this direction on the other side of those choices lead me to the person I really want to be. So that's why we're gonna look at Romans chapter 12 this morning. Um, There are lots and lots of scriptures that we could look at to give us these guidelines for how we wanna respond and be the person we wanna be, I've just picked a couple that I feel are really powerful and that you can use. I feel, um, especially when we get to to the end, I I feel we have some scriptures that are actually really practical and really straightforward. So we're gonna start out looking in Romans chapter 12. Now the book of Romans is a really great book, the whole book of Romans from chapter one all the way to whatever the last chapter of Romans is. um, It's actually a really great book for you to look through. If you are really praying and pressing through how do I deal with conflict because this whole book was written to a church experiencing conflict Isn't it so cool that we know that? Like, oh, how do I handle conflict, Lord? How about you look at the letter that Paul wrote that told another church how to handle conflict? It's like super helpful. So this church that this book was written to um, Just to kind of give you an idea was a church made up of um, two primarily two groups of people we have Jewish people, and then we have um, what we would call like um, Gentiles or non-Jewish people. And the thing that we have to understand about these two groups of people is that the Jews were dedicated their life; like they grew up hearing, from generation to generation, the laws of Moses, six hundred and thirteen laws, commands, rules that they dedicated their life to following, to get to the life that they wanted to get to, okay? So if there are any teens in the room and you think your parents are strict, until they give you a list of 613 things to follow, you're doing all right. Okay, so that's half of the church is like dedicating their lives to these laws, and then the other half of the church is not dedicated to following these 613 rules. So you can see how there is a lot of conflict because we're talking about a huge difference in principle. Does that make sense? And so these groups of people are trying to do life together because that's, how the, that's what Jesus called them to do, and yet they find themselves in conflict. And so Paul writes this letter to them to address a lot of different things that they're divided over, and then near the end of the letter, he starts kind of summarizing what he's saying, and that's what we're going to read a snippet of in um, Romans chapter 12. So we're gonna start in verse 18, and this first sentence is so great. I love this first sentence. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, this sentence tells me two things, two really important things that this sentence implies. The first one, if it's possible and as far as it depends on you, tells me that I don't control anyone on this side of my flesh. As much as we like to believe, and I think on surface value we would say, yeah, I know I don't control anyone but myself, but our behaviors communicate otherwise. Because I think that's one of the reasons why we get loud, we get defensive, we get argumentative, we threaten, we pull back, we withdraw. Because I think, deep down inside, we actually believe, if I can scare you enough, I might be able to get you to do the thing I want you to do. And Paul is telling the the church, and he's telling us, he's reminding us, you don't control anyone but yourself. And as Danny Silk would say, that's only on a good day. Okay? If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Here's the second thing this sentence tells me. My ability to live at peace is not dependent upon your behavior. My ability to live at peace is not dependent Upon your behavior This word peace here. We have to remember that this letter was originally written in a different language And that we translated it to English, okay? And so this word here that that Paul says when he says live at peace with everyone He's actually saying live in shalom with everyone and Johnny talked about this a little bit last week This word shalom doesn't mean like peace like we don't have conflict It means peace as in your whole and you're complete. Like if you, if you picture um, a Lego set with complex pieces, and then when it's complete, it has shalom. It has peace. It's whole. So something needs to be whole as I live with everyone. That's not dependent upon everyone else's behaviors. I believe that my peace begins to break down when I try to get my fundamental needs met from other people. My wholeness, my completeness begins to break down when I am trying to get certain needs met from you that you were never designed to fully meet for me. There's a story in the, in the Bible um, where a law expert, those 613 rules we talked about, um, this expert of the law um, thought he had a really great trick question for Jesus. And he asked Jesus, he said, Jesus, out of all 613 commands, which one's the most important? It's kind of like, he was trying to trick you. says, it's kind of like, is it more important that I don't murder, or is it more important that I don't steal? Like, that's the kind of question he's asking. Which law is the most important? And he thinks it's a trick question, because they're all important. But what is—do you know what Jesus says? The most important command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And later on, he actually goes on to say that all the other commands get fulfilled in following that one. So when I am focused first on loving the Lord with my whole self, and I think we have to really understand what that means, like loving God doesn't just mean I try to do the right things, and I come to church, and I go to small group, and I tithe, and and I check all these 613 laws that we've created for ourselves. But loving God with my whole self means that I am first seen and known and accepted and fully belonging in His presence first. This idea of this deep-seated need of being seen and known and loved and wanted and liked and belonging, that this, it's, it's normal to need that from other people. But when we get this confused, we, we, we get into dangerous water when we forget that we're supposed to first get those met from our Father, from Jesus. I first have to be fully known And seen and loved and know that I belong in God and when I do that suddenly my peace is whole I am whole my identity is whole and now I'm not so dependent upon you to behave a certain way in order for me to be okay so I'm not saying that it is not okay To need community, to need to be seen and known and loved by other people, I'm not saying that. We would never tell a child that it is not okay to need your mommy or daddy, right? We would never say that. That is a part of being designed as a body, is that we do need each other, but we can't forget who we have to be needed and loved by first. All right, that was just sentence number one. Let's keep reading. All right, listen to the rest of this. Like there's lots of stuff in here and I think like different things will stick out to different people, okay? Paul goes on to say in Romans, do not take revenge, leave room for God's wrath, for it is written it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy, might I edit a little? If the person who has hurt you or betrayed you is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, this is an interesting sentence, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So there's something here in my ability when, I, when, when, I'm, when I'm whole in my identity and I'm first hearing from Jesus, not, not hearing here, but like hearing here, that I am fully, perfectly known and seen and loved. I have this ability to now surrender my desire to want to get even with you, to want to make sure you feel sorry for what you did to me, when I can surrender that and I go as far as to now being able to serve you, I do this weird thing, I'm able to heap burning coals on your head. Uh, Now the flesh part of me wants to think like, this is me killing you with kindness. I'm gonna be so nice to you, you're gonna be sorry for what you did. That tells me I'm forgetting that Paul already told me, as far as it depends on you. Right? Again, that's my behavior trying to get something from you. So we're, we're gonna look at um, another scripture where they actually talk about these coals more. In your, in your Bible, when you're looking at that verse, you notice that those words are kind of like indented a little bit because Paul is quoting from another letter. And this is um, um, a letter that many of the people in the Roman church that he's writing this letter to would remember, they would recognize, because again, they grew up hearing the word from their grandmas and their grandpas and their great-grandmas and great-grandpas and their parents, and these coals, um, they sound different to them than they do to us. So we're gonna go um, we're gonna flip back So you're gonna go back in your Bible if you're using a paper Bible um, And we're gonna look at Isaiah chapter 6 because they actually reference coals again or in the beginning they reference coals, and um, in this book now Isaiah is a person and Isaiah is um, a really special dude. If I could summarize Isaiah, I would say he would embody someone who knew what it meant to be fully loved, seen, and known by God first. Because Isaiah had a really special assignment of hearing directly from God and then sharing God's word with the people he was in charge of helping co-lead with. And so Isaiah had encounters and visits and visions from God Himself and other heavenly things. And in Isaiah chapter 6, we actually see Isaiah share a moment that he experienced. Um, He had um, um, a vision. He he saw a vision of God, and so we're just going to look at this real quick. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was high and exalted, and he was sitting on a throne Okay, so that he's seeing God sitting on this big throne, and and God is in this, like, temple. Like, it's basically like a big room, and it says that his robe—he was wearing a robe. He probably just got out of the shower, and so he had a robe on, but his robe was so big that it filled the room that he was sitting in, and above God, on this throne, in this temple, with his giant fluffy robe, there were these, it says seraphim in some translations, that's like another word for like angelic beings, there were these angels, and they were flying over this temple, and they had six wings. That's creepy. Two of the wings says they covered their faces, two of the wings covered their feet, and the other two helped them fly, and they were flying all around the Lord. And as they were flying, these angels were saying, holy, holy, holy. Is the Lord God Almighty. His whole, our whole earth is filled with his glory. What are the angels doing? They're worshiping. They're seeing the face of God, and it's, it's pulling worship out of them. And they're declaring that the Lord is holy and that his glory is so overwhelming. And as they're saying these things, the, the temple's shaking, and it fills up with smoke. Do you get the like intensity of this experience that Isaiah is having? I don't know if they wore pants or underwear back then, but he probably needed new pair. Okay, because I have proof. I have proof. Look at what he says. Look at how Isaiah responds. Woe is me. I don't know very many people that say that these days. So if I may, um, like modernize it. Too much. Mind blown Right, woe is me And he goes on to say, I'm ruined This is undoing him Do you see, like when we get in the presence of God Like we are undone How do I know that when we get in the presence of God I actually experience being fully known and seen and loved? It's because I've experienced just a taste of what Isaiah has said That he's seen, and it has undone me Isaiah is undone, and he goes on to say, I am a man of unclean lips. Some translations say, I am a man of unclean words. This doesn't just mean that Isaiah curses sometimes or tells dirty jokes, okay? The Bible tells us something really specific about our words, that from our heart, our mouth speaks. Isaiah is realizing, this thing I'm seeing, I am unworthy of seeing because I know the man that I am in here, and I am unworthy. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips. And yet my eyes have seen the Lord. And then look what this angel does. Apparently they were having a cookout because there were coal, so I imagine there was a grill somewhere in the temple. And one of the angels takes a coal, okay? So the same coal that Paul is referencing in Hebrews, uh, what chapter were we in? Romans chapter 12. The same coals that Paul tells us when we serve our enemies, we heap them on their heads. The, The angels take a coal just like those coals that Paul is referencing. And that one of the angels brings a coal over to Isaiah and he touches his lips. The very thing that he said represents that he's unclean. And look what the angel says as he touches Isaiah's lips with the coal. See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin has been atoned for. What does atoned mean? It means it's been paid for. Any of y'all who have debt, and you pray to the Lord that that magical check shows up, or you log onto your account, and then you're, all of a sudden your loan is gone, That's the kind of thing that that word atoned means. It's taken care of. So the angel is saying, you are thinking that you are someone unworthy, but we are telling you that the Lord says that those things that you're having revelation about, the reality, the state of your heart, the Lord's taking care of it. And that guilt you feel because of those things you're aware of, that gets to go too. Your sin is taken care of, and your guilt and your shame get to go with it. So what Paul is saying in Romans is that when I'm whole, when my identity is whole, first in God, and I can respond to the person who has hurt and betrayed me in such a way that I can go as far as to serve them, and in doing that, I heap coals onto their heads This is like a prophetic act saying, just like my sin has been taken care of, and the Lord says, I don't have to feel guilty, I'm telling you through my actions that the same is true for you. I'm surrendering this I desire to want to make sure you know how terrible you have been to me, and to make you pay for the way you've treated me. I'm actually saying, hey, don't forget, your sins have been taken care of too and your guilt and shame goes just like mine does that's what paul is saying when he's saying your actions heap burning coals on their heads now like i said at the beginning does this tell me exactly what to say or not say or do or not do in a moment when i'm in conflict i don't know that it like gives me a script to follow as much as i would love that but what it does do is, paints us this picture. If the person I want to be is anything on that list that we showed at the very beginning, if the person I want to be is anything on that list, this is the stuff I want to start pointing my actions towards. Because it is in acting this way, in responding this way, that the person I want to be, it's on the other side of that. Does this make sense? I know this isn't easy. It's really easy, well, kind of, it's kind of easy to get up here and, like, say it. It's another thing to do it. It's so hard to serve someone who has hurt you and doesn't feel a lick of remorse. I understand that. But what I trust more than anything, what I trust more than my circumstance, is if the Lord tells me the thing I want is on the other side of this, I'm gonna do it. Because I trust what he has to say, and I trust that he is good, and I trust that in his presence, I have everything I need to feel seen and known, loved and accepted. Um, I wanna share with you another verse that I actually use a lot when I experience conflict. Um, in 1st Corinthians chapter 13 a lot of uh, people are familiar with this chapter. It's called the love chapter Okay, uh, we're not actually going to read through excuse me We're not going to read through the whole thing. I just want to give this to you as another example of a really practical way that I use scripture to guide me towards the person that I want to be um, there's this three-word sentence in 1st Corinthians chapter 13 right at the beginning of verse 8 I actually, um, I I love this so much that I paid my brother to tattoo it onto my body for me, because this is like a guiding principle of my life. And that three-word sentence that you find right smack dab in the middle of 1 Corinthians 13 is that love never fails. So oftentimes when I'm in conflict, I'm saying something like this, Lord, I don't know what love would do in this moment, But I know that love will never fail. So help me know what love would do. Help me know what love would say." And then I start just reciting this whole chapter in my head. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. And I start going through the list, and it never fails that something in that list will suddenly convict me. Suddenly, something in that list jumps out at me, and I start getting really curious. For me, personally, um, the the line of uh, uh, love rejoices in the truth, that one usually gets me a lot, because my go-to when I'm experiencing conflict, depending upon who it is, um, I either get really argumentative and defensive, um, or I withdraw, I pull back, and I don't say what I know I'm supposed to say. Um, I don't speak up. And oftentimes what the Lord will convict me is, Amber, if love never fails, and love rejoices in the truth, then telling the truth will not fail you. And so then I have to be brave and not be defensive and own when I've made a mistake. I rejoice in the truth. Or sometimes um, if if I'm in a position where I find myself shrinking back, Amber, love rejoices with the truth. I need you to have courage and speak up in this moment. So do you see how this, this scripture is really great at helping me? It, it, again, it doesn't give me word for word what I should do or what I should say, but it gives me really great practical guidelines of, okay, I, I, don't, I don't know exactly what love would do, but I feel like I'm supposed to be patient, so I'm gonna pray through that. Lord, what does it mean to be patient with this person? I may go to a trusted friend and ask them, what do you think I would do? I recommend picking a friend that also wants you to be the same person you wanna be. But the scripture is full of this stuff, full of what love looks like. Jesus dedicated his whole life to love. So if you don't know what to do in a moment, flip open a story where Jesus is doing something, and then ask the Lord, okay, Lord, how do I do this in my situation? What does this look like in my situation? Does this make sense? All right. Now we're going to move on to something really interesting. Um, while I was working on this sermon, um, uh, my friend Mickey uh, kept coming to my mind. Um, and I just really felt like uh, Mickey and I— Mickey, you can go ahead and come on up, bud. Uh, Mickey and I have been friends for, I think, 10-ish years. And um, I've, I've had the honor of being seen, known, and loved, and accepted by Mickey and vice versa. And um, while Mickey would never say that he embodies love— Perfectly. Um, I have watched him lean into the hard stuff of what we've been talking about this morning, and I just really felt like um, his testimony would be really um, helpful just to see, like, practically what this may look like. Um, and while Mickey is sharing, I'm also going to just encourage the uh, worship team to come on up because we're just going to move right into ministry time after this because I think the Lord wants to do some things. Um, did you get your mic on there, Mickey? Let me see. We got new microphones. It's a secret. It's like if you want to play an April Fool's joke, just buy the church new microphones and don't give anyone the manuals. It's fun. All right. So um, we're just going to kind of do like a little share slash interview style. Um, So was there anything in particular you wanted to start with, or do you want me to ask you some questions, Mickey? You can just go into the Okay, question. cool. Um, so I think something that could be really helpful for us is before we talk about anything you did practically, could you just paint us a picture of, um, so just so everyone knows, like we're gonna be talking about Mickey's relationship specifically with his father. Um, and I had the privilege of meeting Mickey's father, and while he was not a perfect man, he was a precious man. And so I'm excited for him to share this with you. Um, but uh, could you just paint us a picture of how um, you experienced conflict with
1: your dad? Yes, yeah, so um, some of my youngest memories with dad um, would be like, you know, when dad didn't get his way, there would, there would always be conflict in the house. Um, and it wasn't always necessarily with me, but it was inside the house. Um, dad was a construction worker, he lo- worked lots of long hours. Uh, sometimes being away from the house for days or whatnot and then coming home. So then remembering um, some, some times where he would show up, um, not himself when he was drunk, or the things that he would say, or the way he would act towards my mother. Um, And it kind of, it would make that, uh, that feeling, not, not of hatred, but that very dislike that I would have in my heart, towards him um, because it would, it almost made me feel like I was too little or not seen, I wasn't strong enough, I wasn't good enough to make his actions not, not happen. Um, so then when, when I felt like I was able to kind of push back, then our physical discipline kind of started. So, you know, when I pushed back then, the the notorious sound of like that, the belt whipping out of all the loops. You just remember, like I can still just hear that. And I heard somebody just make that noise, like you just know that sound. And at that point you knew like, you you either went to the couch or you were getting hit wherever you were at. Um, And if you were moving, you got hit sometimes by the belt, sometimes by the buckle, it was just where you were at. Um, In My mom, didn't plan on you being here today, so this is harder. (laughs) Um, She was just such an angel in it all. Like she taught us sign language and was able to just talk to us in a language outside of dad knowing it to be able to tell us what to do. Like I remember like her just saying, like signing letters to us and then, or like she'd tell me to stop and like to go outside or whatnot and let her be the Mediator that would be the brunt of it or whatnot. Um, so that was all when I was little. But then I got to ninth grade where I, I got my size and I started wrestling and I was able to stand up to him and I finally, you know, wasn't wasn't scared of that anymore and kind of got to that point where self harm was where I reached out to because didn't grow up in church, didn't grow up in knowing anything about Jesus, right? Um, so I figured if I could hurt myself, nobody could hurt, my, hurt me more than I could hurt myself. Yeah. So nobody would ever have that power over me. Um, so then, I'm not gonna sit here and say all stories were bad. Um, the trauma always outweighs the, the good stories. So I mean, we, I played sports, football, baseball, wrestling, soccer. Um, me and dad went hunting, fishing. Like We did things good together. There was good things with my dad together. But, like, the trauma of the conflict always trumped the, the good things. And then as I moved forward to adulthood, I realized, like, these things that I was doing as a child, I was doing for that acceptance and that love to try to get that from dad was, like, to be seen. Like, when I was playing football or I was wrestling or we went to hunting or fishing. like I was trying to be the best at it, just to get his approval. And and adulthood, I was still doing that. So I wasn't enjoying the way I was showing up Mm -hmm. um, in adulthood to everybody else, and the way I was doing life, I wasn't really getting joy out of that. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm.
0: So if you could sum up how you felt either around your dad or towards your dad in that season, what would be like one or two words you would use to kind of describe the, the thing that was going on inside of you?
1: Before? Yeah. Unworthy?
0: Unworthy. Yeah. Cool. Um, okay, so then, um, obviously, we know that you, you got saved, um, and you've done a lot of personal transformation. Um, and so my next question would be like, um, a lot of your transformation has been like focused on you not focused on your dad like trying to fix him It was focused on you working on you mm-hmm. So how did you find um, as you were working on your your peace or your shalom your wholeness? Um, how did you see that let that naturally led you to then being able to be more at peace with your dad? Yeah,
1: so I mean we've been here for this year make ten years, so it's been like a long journey um, and Still still working on it daily. Uh, But as we're moving forward in that, like, the more I was learning here, um, the more that I started coming here, the more that I started learning about Jesus and God and, like, what Jesus had done for me and how I am not, like, my worthiness is not dependent on my Father's love here on earth. It, like, I get that from Abba, right? Like, my... It's all right. Being able to move forward with that was was neat because like knowing that I didn't have to seek my dad's acceptance or love anymore and that I could be powerful through the love of God and show up that way around him uh, made me more confident to speak Mm. God's truths around him. And I could tell that it started to make a change in me and him. Yeah,
0: I like that word confidence. There's something about you experiencing that confidence between you and the Lord that it allowed you to show up because now you weren't trying to get that from your dad specifically. Yeah, that's good. Um, Did you notice any difference in your dad's um, behavior or the way he showed up around you um, as you began to focus on on you? Was there any difference
1: in him? Yeah, um, I can say that like As I continued to work on me um, figuring out those vows and stuff from working through emotionally focused and like being able to forgive him. Like, Mm -hmm. emotionally focused was able to allow me to see that the behaviors that my dad was doing were only learned behaviors that he learned from his childhood that he carried into his adulthood and he was just a little broken boy trying to be a dad.
0: Sounds like it led you to some compassion yeah all
1: right when we practice this I didn't cry as much <laughs> um, but through that you know being able to to realize that and forgive him our relationship just flourished because I was able to forgive him because I know I'm forgiven so why how could I not forgive him so then like We got super close, and then then it was at that time, he got sick. Yeah. That's when we found out he had cancer.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah, so I think one of the most beautiful things about this is like how that story ended, because you're right, like right at that time of transition for you um, and your found freedom, that's when you found out that your dad had cancer, right? So just paint a picture for everyone, like the celebration the, the, the good news that
1: came. So tell us how that story ended. So when you're talking about the love chapter, um, you know, I think the things that uh, God was teaching me through all of this was, you know, patience, teaching me that all good things come with time, you know, forged mm-hmm. through that trial. Um, no recognition of wrongs, teaching me that he's taken away all my sins and that I'm forgiven and that I should be treating others the same way. And then lastly, it was like, Love never fails, like what you were just saying, right? Love never fails. God's love never fails. And through that three, the last three months of dad's life, like that was the closest we had ever been. Um, we talked about Jesus daily, scriptures daily. We never did that the entire time. He was, um, he accepted Jesus at a skilled nursing facility. We were sitting there talking one day, and he's talking like, you see Jesus over there. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, just led him through that, which is really cool.
0: Yeah, that's awesome.
1: <laughs> oh. But uh, then a few weeks later, went back up to Riverside, spent a few weeks up there, and then ended up going to hospice. uh, Baptized him once in hospice, hospice just a couple days before he passed. But um, before that three months, like, I did not know that he was saved. did not know that, you know, I didn't know that I knew that I knew that where he was spending an eternity, you know? Yeah. And just that ability to know that our relationship, like that conflict ended forgiven, restored, and made new. Yeah. And like, just so glad we had the opportunity to do that before he passed. Yeah,
0: yeah. thanks for sharing, we appreciate it. Um, yeah, so. We're gonna go ahead and move into some ministry time. You can stay up here with me, Nikki. So you guys can go ahead and stand.